according to CBS News, Los Angeles, a woman suspected of showering Black Friday shoppers with pepper spray surrendered to authorities, but was released pending further investigation after she refused to discuss the incident, police said Saturday. The woman, whose name was not released, is suspecting of firing pepper spray into a crowd in order to clear a path to creative Xbox video game players that were being unwrapped late Thanksgiving night at Walmart and the upscale Porter Ranch section of the San Fernando Valley. The suspect got away in the confusion and it was not known if she bought one of the Xboxes. <laughs> Ten people suffered minor injuries from the pepper spray. Ten others sustained cuts and bruises in the ensuing chaos. Last night at 8.30, the suspect involved in the pepper spray incident at the Porter Ranch Walmart turned herself in. She immediately invoked her right against self-incrimination, however, and refused to discuss the incident further. Probably wise. Police released her pending further investigation. Investigators still have nearly a dozen witnesses to interview, including several spraying victims. He added it would likely be at least two days before an arrest in the case could be made. The woman who surrendered herself is indeed the person who sprayed the crowd. She could face battery charges. That attack took place about 10.30 p.m. Shortly after the Walmart opened its doors for the traditional Black Friday sales on the day after Thanksgiving. For this reason, I warn you, I personally make it a, a goal of mine never to go to Walmart. <clears throat> Sometimes I fail on that. The incident was among those nationwide in which violence marred the traditional kickoff to the holiday shopping season on the Friday after Thursday's Thanksgiving holiday. In the most serious case, a robber shot a shopper who refused to give up his purchases outside of San Lorenzo, California, Walmart store, leaving the victim hospitalized in critical but stable condition. Police in that area, about five, 15 miles east of San Francisco, said the victim and his family were walking to the car around 1.45 a.m. Friday when they were confronted by a group of men who demanded their shopping items. When the family refused, a fight broke out, and one of the robbers pulled a gun and shot the man. Meanwhile, police in suburban Phoenix came under fire when a video was posted online showing a 54-year-old grandfather on the floor of a Walmart store with a bloody face after police said he was subdued Thursday night trying to shoplift during a chaotic rush for discounted video games. The video posted on YouTube shows Gerald Allen Newman unconscious and bloodied as outraged customers yell expletives and say, that's police brutality and he wasn't doing anything. A police report that redacted the names of officers and witnesses, Newman's wife and other witnesses, said he was just trying to help his grandson after the boy was trampled by shoppers and only put a video game in his waistband to free his hands to help the boy. Larry Hall, assistant of the, of the police, said Newman was resisting arrest and appeared the officers acted within reason. Hall, of, Hall said the officers decided to do a leg sweep and take him to the ground, but the man unfortunately hit his head. The store was incredibly crowded and I was concerned about the other customer safety officer, wrote in his police report. Newman, who had a bloody nose and received four stitches on his forehead, was booked on suspicion of shoplifting and resist arrest. Sacramento, a man was stabbed outside a mall Friday in an apparent gang-related incident as shoppers were heading to the stores. I read that, and you've got to say to yourself, something is wrong. Thanksgiving holiday, inaugurated with assaults, pepper spray fights I could not if I had chosen could not have picked a better text to talk about this day Sunday after Thanksgiving than the text we will look at this morning Exodus chapter 20 verse 17 <laughs> don't covet don't covet I just would, as you're turning there, remind you of James 4, 1. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are yet war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Scripture says, you shall not covet. And so, (laughs) I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, I I don't have to provide any more illustrations. Our society has done it well this weekend. Um, let's, Let's read this text together. And in honor of this being the Word of God, let's stand as we read. And this being the last of the Ten Commands will not be the last in our series. There's still more to say about these Ten Commandments and, interesting enough, their relationship to Christmas. Uh, so, uh, let's read beginning with verse 1. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. He brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And verse 5 is a good explanation as to what is a God, that which we bow down, that we serve, that which we have heart ties to, uh, that we... Uh, depend on. But instead, God shows steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth to see and all that is in them and rest on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. You may be seated. This last command, though it's given very specific items for us not to covet against, uh, is actually a bookend to the first commandment. Remember the first commandment being, you shall not have any other gods before me. When he goes to you shall not covet, it is kind of the psychological twist of the first commandment. How do we know when we have other gods before us? It will be fleshed out in our coveting. If you covet, it signifies idolatry that's taken place that God is not God in your life. He is not your Lord, your hope, that which you depend on in your life. And so it's a very significant command of verse 17 that uh, I've shared before that when you have, no, when you have other gods beside God, the creator God in our life, that it will be bared and revealed in the other commands. In fact, the other commands are just other ways for us to understand we have a God above God. We have a creative thing that we've exalted above God that's become our hope that we are uh, surrendering and sacrificing the Yahweh creator God so that we will sacrifice him so that we will have his creation and have it in an exalted place in our life. So uh, you need to understand this. It's kind of like a, a, a spotlight. We uh, spent a good portion of yesterday decorating the outside of our house for Christmas. And uh, the, the, the direction we go in is putting wreaths on the windows and doors and then putting the lights on at night. You know, it just kind of brings attention to it. And, and uh, it, it's fascinating when you know you're going to spotlight your house. It, uh, it uh, kind of creates uh, more work. Um, and uh, I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm just imagining the spotlight on our house. And, and I realize, you know, I haven't trimmed those bushes uh, yet for uh, the fall season. And they're looking kind of unshapely. And so I thought, you know, before the daylight was over, my and I thought, well, we got some time. Let's trim the bushes because we're going to have spotlights on, on the house. And I was up on the roof putting wreaths up. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to have spotlights on the house. I better get some of this pine straw down and, and get some of these webs 
off, you know, it's just creating a lot of work because the spotlight's on the house. And, and what I'm realizing is as I read this passage, especially this last commandment, you shall not covet, it's like a spotlight on my heart. And God is revealing these things that are there that says this is idolatry. Do you realize this? This is the idea that Paul was getting to in Romans chapter 7, verse 7 through 12. And I think it's fitting for us to explain, first to explain this command, and then we're going to look at the fulfillment of the command in Jesus Christ. And so Romans chapter 7, verse 7 through 12, Paul is talking about sin. He's talking about the frustrations of his own life, of knowing what it is to live for, what God's ideal is, knowing uh, the spiritual life that God has given to us. But Romans 7 is the frustration of our life, the frustration of our heart. Romans chapter 7, verse 7 through 12. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? I think specifically think about the Ten Commandments. Is this wrong? Is the Ten Commandments sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. You notice he's, he's especially taking this last command. He says, this last command is really getting me. I mean, all the others, I'm thinking, I got the right behavior. If I do right behavior, then I'm okay. And that, I'm afraid, is what many church people believe. If I do right behavior, I'm okay. But this last commandment is not about your behavior. It's about your heart. And Paul gets hung up here. He says, I realize that my heart's messed up. Verse 8. But sin... Seizing the opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. It's the spotlight that's put on my heart and reveals how deadly my heart is. For the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. And I've shared with you the Ten Commandments is not the latter to bring us to God. Okay, that's not how that works. It, if we do that, we will die spiritually. And I teach this to you not so that you'll say, okay, I need to give more. I need to uh, tell the truth more. I need to cherish my marriage more. I need to, it's not that is the message. It, the message is, no, I need to cherish Jesus Christ. I need to be submitted to the Spirit of God in my life, and the Spirit of God will take me down that road. Okay, so you need to get that uh, clear. And so the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me, for sin, seizing opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. The law comes to my life to says, I need forgiveness. I am not right with God. I am idolater by heart, and I tend to go the way of bowing down to idols. I need Jesus. I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. I need a new heart. And the law of God makes it clear in our life. So the law is holy. The commandment is holy. The commandment is righteous. The commandment is good. Why? Because it reflects God. It reflects the nature of God. And when the Spirit of God comes into my life, then you will see desires that go down the direction of the Ten Commandments. So the problem is not just our behavior. The problem is our desires. Coveting was behind the very first sin, Adam and Eve. You remember the story of Adam and Eve? God makes the garden and says, of all the trees you can eat the fruit, but don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of it, you will die. And Satan comes along and says, really? Did God really say that? No, God just said that so you wouldn't be like him, knowing good and evil. And there's this desire, coveting of being like God, outside of God's ways. And then Eve saw that the tree was good to eat. Ate of it. There was a coveting, a desiring to be like God. Even that was Satan's problem. Of a coveting the praise that was due only to God. And thinking that he was sufficient for the praise of eternity. This, this desire for more in our life. There are a lot of texts that talk about this. I've thought about, man, you know, I can do a whole series just on this. And I may at some point. Uh, but we'll just deal with today. Philippians 4, verse 10 through 13. Paul is coming along this idea and this passage. He says uh, in verse, verse 10, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound 
in and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty. I've learned the secret of facing hunger. I've learned the secret of facing abundance. I've learned the secret of facing need. It's the same secret whether there's much or there's less. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I would just bring to your attention that the opposite of coveting, psychologically speaking, is contentment. Contentment. Contentment in God, in Christ. So the opposite of coveting, contentment, the opposite of content. I've heard a radio uh, speaker this past week talk about this, and he, he said ambition. I would say, no, look at the Bible, and it actually is not just ambition, because there's such a thing as a holy ambition. The opposite of contentment is coveting. All right? So coveting is to the point where you say to yourself, I have to have that for my life to be happy. Okay? I have to have that for happiness. So it's not just a desire. It's a desire that's going to the point that says, unless this is in my life, I will not be happy. Okay? So it's not just a want. It's to say, (laughs) if you get in my way from my happiness, I will pepper spray you. Okay? Because I care more about obtaining that than whether or not you have physical well-being in your life. All right? So I don't know if she was consciously thinking that, but unconsciously she was because it acted out. That's what she did. She sacrificed the physical well-being of people around so that she could have an Xbox video game in her life. And I think she realized how shameful it is in the clear light of day, and she's not going to talk about it. All right? Shameful. But that's what we do. All right? And so it's, it's, it's that craving that we've got in our life. Now, here's the thing that happens in our life. There, there's two ways that we, we can really be upset about this. One is to constantly always want it. Always want that thing, that substance, that status in our life, that position in our life. Always wanting it. And we're always unhappy until we get that. And, and that's how, that's one way of living. The other way of living is actually getting it. Getting that. And realizing I'm still not happy. And both ways is equally frustrating. And, and sometimes that's where people kill themselves. Is from this. Is that desire to be happy. And most of us are somewhere in between. And, and so we go and experience a little bit. And it's just not quite enough. And so we want a little bit more. And, and that's the thing. Someone said, how much is enough money? Well, always one dollar more. All right. Just one more experience or one more time in the family or whatever it is that we, we cover it covered it and then here's the thing that if we don't get it if we don't get it we've got several ways to go and cope with that one is we blame the substance something's wrong well if that was a better meal that was a better wife that was a better husband if that was a better family if that was a better job if that was a better church if that was a better and so we tend to go to blaming the things all right uh, another way is is we start blaming ourselves if that's not giving us satisfaction. We're like, I just need to do it better. I just need to work harder. I just need to get more discipline in my life so I can obtain this. And so we start blaming ourselves, and that's one way we can look at it. And the other way is if we if we don't go those two ways, we start blaming the world system. And we think, well, this world is just, you know, it's not worth it. I'm going to get burned. I'm going to get hurt every time. And so I'm just going to stop reaching. I'm going to stop trying for it. And we start blaming the world. When we start to say to ourselves, I will be happy when, and you fill in the blank. I'll be happy when, and you've got some life circumstance that completes that sentence, or some item, all right, or maybe some family member, or some marriage, or uh, I'll be happy when I've got that boy. I'll be happy when I've got that girl. I'll be happy when I've got that job. I'll be happy when I've got that house. And we can sing songs about this. But when you have that statement, you're saying several things, one of which is, God, the life you've given me is subpar. You've messed up. I give you a D. I give you an F. It's not working. That's one statement you're making. The other statement is, is saying that my life, my love, my joy, my happiness is dependent on this and not God. And so what is it we're doing when we make life about that substance? Is it not idolatry to have that to say, I want this as my source of joy, 
my source of happiness. Life is not full. Life is not meaning unless this is in it. We're also saying, God, you're not enough. First Timothy chapter six, verse six through ten. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, to a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Coveting ruins your faith. It will shipwreck you and your walk with God because you've exalted a life circumstance or a substance above God. That's what 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10 says. It's not my opinion. I'm just telling you what Scripture is, is bringing out here. You remember Ahab? Ahab, his wife Jezebel, maybe you remember that name. These two characters are notorious in the Bible as idolaters, evil kings, and queens. First uh, Kings 21. Uh, you've got this interesting story of Ahab coming across a, a scene. He sees a beautiful vineyard. And he says to himself, I long to have that vineyard. I want to have it. And so he comes up to uh, Nabal, who is the owner, or Naboth, who is the owner, and says, will you sell me your vineyard? Naboth says, no. No, I won't. How can I sell you this? This has been in my family. It's been my inheritance. And when when a Jew says that in the Jerusalem area, are in the Israel area and, and Samaria. And you know what they're talking about? They're talking about back way long before in the conquest of Canaan land when the f- tribes fought the existing people and God gave them the land and it was passed on. You know, like when we talk about the year of Jubilee, uh, some of you may remember this, that after uh, 70 years, that the, the, if you sell your land, it goes back to the original owner. It was something where God had brought into the institute of society where they would always go back to that land the inheritance of God uh, given to them. And so this is the type of image that Naboth is saying. This is my family's land. This is the vineyard that's been passed on to my father's and father's fathers and I plan to pass on to my sons and my son's sons. No. It's priceless. I cannot sell it to you. Naboth, or Ahab, he had said to himself, essentially, Life, I, I will not be happy unless I have Naboth's vineyard. How do I know that? Because of his reaction when this no comes into his life by Naboth, he goes into a pure crying fit. All right? I'm talking two-year-old, you know, just flat-out crying fit. And his wife comes in. Jezebel says, what's the problem? Why are you giving a fit? What's wrong with you? And, and Ahab Naboth won't sell me his land. And, and, and Jezebel has a reaction like you might think. Well, aren't you the king? You're the king. I'll take care of it. So she creates some lies. And has Naboth killed for these lies. And says Ahab, oh, that land, it's available. Go ahead and get it. Coveting of Ahab drove lies, drove Murder, covening will drive immoral, terrible decisions in your life. Coveting, the fact that you have to have this and you have to have it now, will bring eternal, damning consequences into your life. It's interesting enough that it was for this incident that God says to a messenger, to Ahab, and to Jezebel. I mean, they've got all kinds of idolatry uh, prior to this, but as in this incident, when God brings a messenger to them and says, you will die, and the blood will lick up, or the dogs will lick up the blood of Jezebel, neither one of you will be buried in a funeral, or be buried in your, uh, in your uh, family cemetery, you will die, and your body will rot, and it will go away right where it lies. And sure enough, you see that happen to Ahab, he gets shot, uh, a accidental uh, error, error comes into him, she kills him, and he dies in a chariot, and the dogs lick up his blood, 
Jezebel gets thrown off the balcony uh, through uh, Jehu's work. And before they can go and claim her body, the dogs had consumed her. And you think, good night. Pastor, did you have to go into that? Scripture says that. And I think it brings out the emphasis of coveting. Of what God does with coveting. When you have land, a vineyard, and you exalt that as your idol, as your God, and you do it, and you gladly sacrifice the people around you so you can have that. I've heard said that you will either use money and love people, or you will love money and use people. Coveting drives you to this degree. Now, there's some other things Scripture has to say about this. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 21. The one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> Sounds like um, typical sibling rivalry, doesn't it? And we never quite outgrow it. But it's something about the abundance of money. When money comes in, coveting of the heart comes out. I just, I want to say that in the context that we're in as a church. I have heard of stories where state gifts of $50,000 can flat out ruin a church. Because everybody comes in with their desires. And the abundance of money, it's like I've got a way to get my dream carried out. I just want to caution myself, all of us in this. It is a gift of God. It is of God. And it is a test to see what is in our hearts. All right? Here you have siblings. They have an abundance of stuff coming in, materials. And they gladly <laughs> fight with one another over this stuff. Haven't you all heard of that? Funerals happen. Fights happen. It was pool. It wasn't too long ago here down at pool. You had a, a, a brawl. A damaged the property uh, at a funeral uh, over here at pool uh, not too long ago. So someone in the crowd says to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So what's Jesus' reaction? Verse 14, but he said to them, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. That's a hard word to say, covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. The stuff of this world, the creation that God has given to us, are meant for us to enjoy, but never meant for us to sustain our life upon. Okay? Life is not about the abundance of things. Life is not about having so many bedrooms in your house. Life is not about having a a certain type of car. Life is not about necessarily having that close-knit family that you've always dreamed about. Life is not about having that dream husband or that dream wife that you've always had in your mind. Life is not about that perfect job out there. Life is not about the things that God has created, but life is about the one who created them. Life is not about the abundance of things. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and there I'll store all my crops and my goods. The increases that come in our life is not about how great a lifestyle I can create. That was this man's thought. I've got more stuff in? Great. I'll just increase my lifestyle. I'll make it happen. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool. As best I can tell, this is the only place in scripture I've seen God straight out calls someone a fool. I've heard, you know, the psalm, the fool has said there is no God. But this is the only place I've seen where God straight out calls someone a fool. Someone who's captured by covetousness. Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided 
so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know, I, what's so ironic about this weekend? Thanksgiving. Black Friday. I cannot think of two more opposing values right up next to one another. And what really shapes me is that Black Friday is infringing upon Thanksgiving. And now we can't think of Thanksgiving without buying stuff. And it just tears my heart out that one good holiday America has that's totally spiritual in its heart and is just mixed up and it just annoys me. Okay? It, Thanksgiving. God, thank you. Black Friday. Oh, I gotta have this, I gotta have this, I gotta have this. It's kind of like Thanksgiving Day, and I say to my wife, You did wonderful cooking. Oh, that food. That Thanksgiving dress, dressing that she tried out for the very first time, passed on from her mother and her mother's mother. You did wonderful. But, <laughs> guys, you know you don't go there, right? That's not the direction we should go in. All right? Because the wife instinctively knows that Thanksgiving is impure. He's saying thanks, but it's just batter, or just batting me up for this criticism he's about to give. We don't, we don't go there. We don't say Thanksgiving, but. All right? We don't say, God, thank you for all of these things in my life. But, I really want these things for my life today. It's, it's, it's kind of like a, a child. I've got a child now that's uh, getting close to two. And uh, man, he's just whiny right now. And it's constant. Just clamoring, you know, especially on Julie and on, the, on her leg. And just, you know, we're trying to give him stuff. And he's still whining. <laughs> it's like after a while, he's just, I can't solve whatever you've got. Go to put you in a playpen to deal with this. Problem's yours, not mine. You know? It's it's as child we we whine. We whine. And God just says, do not covet. I we had um I think about this passage, Luke twelve. Life's not about the bundles of things. We were at my mom and dad's for Thanksgiving and and uh, they've got a lot of China, uh, a lot of a lot of stuff like that from their parents, their aunts and uncles, and them. It's just accumulated. And uh, the China cabinet, the glass shelf, something happened. And we were all in the kitchen, and we just heard this bad sound, you know, <laughs> glass breaking. Like, and I'm looking around for my kids. <laughs> like, you know, I've got four of them here. I'm that's pretty good odds. I'm at fault here. And um, looking around, and, we, and we, it was weird. We couldn't find, we couldn't find, the collision, you know. And finally, I, I looked over in the china cabinet, and the shelf was down, and all these glasses were just way off, you know. They're all on the sides, and you know, and and, and mom and dad are just kind of that, you know, sick. Oh, these are glasses we got when we got married, you know, fifty some years ago, and. Uh, they got, you know, it's like, you, they probably cost, dad was saying, I think they cost $36 a glass, you know, and um, I say, like, like, even if you can find them today, you know, it's just, you know, you, you know, these type of glasses. So after the mill, we, we didn't want to focus on it, you know, we just, just go back to the mill, uh, go back to uh, cleaning this up, and I'm kind of taking the glasses out. I said, okay, you got one broken, or you got two broken, I think you only get two, you know, and just... And, and I could tell, you know, typical reaction. And I said, well, Dad, if it makes you feel better, so if you, if you die, they're probably going to get passed on to my kids, and they're going to break them. <laughs> you know? I'm just reality checks. And you know how I know? Because we got eight of those, but now we only have four of those glasses. <laughs> and, you know, just, they're not going to last. Life is not about the abundance of things. Enjoy them. You know, they're, they're, they're doing their thing right now, just admiring them. But they're not going to last. Don't get bent out of shape on these things. 
Life is not about these things. And I've shared with you before that the Ten Commandments are telling us, make sure if you're going to worship, he says, you're going to worship, worship something that will outlive the tomb. Something that will live forever. Something in which all things consist from. Something with just a word can create a glass and can destroy all glasses in this world. Something with just a word can create a husband. Something with just a word can create children. Something with just a word can create a family. With just a word can create a job, can create all these things. Worship that. Explanation of the command. But you know, Jesus has said, I've come not to destroy the law. Matthew 5, 17, I've come to fulfill the law. How does Jesus fulfill this? Don't covet your neighbors, servants, your wives, oxen, donkey. How does, how does that, what does that mean anyway? I mean, let me just say that oxen, don't covet your neighbor's car, your, their truck, their donkey. Don't, don't covet their, their neighbor's motorcycle, all right? Uh, don't covet their position in life. Most of this is about money, and this is why what we had to say was very important in regarding not stealing. Tithing. Tithing is a tool against coveting. And as a church, we don't want to do anything to undermine tithing and giving because my soul and your soul needs it for the salvation of its soul to make sure that God has got enough money. So, let me ask you, Could you be happy if you never made one more dollar a year than you're doing now? If you never made one more dollar a year than you're already making now, would you be happy? Do you know that how to be happy is when the number one searches on the Internet? Put that in on the Internet. How to be happy. See how many hits you get. Like three million, three billion. It's by far greater than you might imagine. How to be happy. You find yourself constantly looking at what other people have. Or maybe looking online at what other people have. Or maybe looking at a catalog, what other people have. There is a huge sector of our economy. Professionals all over this country whose number one goal is to make you covet. You live in that society. And we've just come through one of the biggest weekends that was all about that. Are you worried financially about the future? Maybe you're coveting that close family. Do you feel constantly hurt and let down by family members? Speaks perhaps maybe that your, your hope, your joy, your happiness is wrapped up in that. Maybe you're coveting reputation or success. You resent people that are more successful than you. You see this happening in your life? Well, let's let's look at Jesus. Jesus taught us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When he was starting out his public ministry, remember Satan came and tempted him? Spent 40 days fasting and prayer in in the wilderness. 40 days without eating. What's the first thing that, that Satan tempts him with? Jesus, you know, if you were really the Christ, if you're really God's son, you could just say to this stone, turn to bread, and it would. And Jesus responded using Deuteronomy. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the Father. What is he saying? Man, you know, I'm sure the bread would have been good, that thought of it, but I desire God his commandments more than bread of my own devices because if i follow god and his commandments he can even make manna come up out from the ground if i have him i have it all if i choose bread over god i have nothing then there is the if you are really god if you're really messiah you could just throw yourself outside of the temple and let his angels come up to 
to gird you. And he said, I will not tempt my Lord, my God. And whatever station I am in, I am there in God's devices. I believe in his providence. I believe in his working. Some of us are thinking, you know what? God must have just messed up somewhere. And I'm just waiting for him to fix the problems. Listen, trust in God's providence. Is he all powerful? Is he all knowing? Does he have all wisdom? He's got you in the station of your life for a reason. Trust him there in that. Don't constantly say to God, you've messed up somewhere. And then he, Satan comes to Jesus and says, if you would just bow down to me, all of the world will be at your feet. No cross, no agony, none of this suffering, none of you becoming sin stuff. Just bow down to me. And Jesus says, you shall worship the God and God alone. No other shall I worship. He is enough. I will not submit to you because you are not enough, Satan. Even if you promise me the world, it is not enough. My heart is content only in the eternal God who has me here. Jesus hears from God the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Garden, Gethsemane. Jesus has followed the Father, been obedient, and now... He's at the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what is in front of him. He's obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now listen, Jesus knew that he on the cross is about to become Jared's coveting. Jesus on the cross knows he's about to become Jared's lies. He's about to become Jared's lust. He's about to become Jared's idolatry. Jesus knows he's about to become Jared's sin. He's about to become your sin. And as he does so, he knows that he will forfeit almost all of the benefits of being under the authority of the Father. I think about those benefits of being under the Father. Those are the things I often compete the most with being idols. The blessings of God the Father. The peace of God the Father. The family of God, the love, the fellowship of God the Father, these things that we have because of being under the authority of God. Jesus knows that all these things, almost all of these things, the benefits of being under the Father are about to be forfeited because He's going to become your sin. And so He says to God, If there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to be that sin. I don't want to lose the benefits of being. Your beloved son that we've known for eternity. I don't want to do that. But God, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That contentment that even if I lose my life, I lose my family, I lose the peace of God. I lose these things, but I'm under God the Father. I am satisfied with that. And he goes to the cross. I'm going to tell you, there is no greater picture of the contentment of Jesus Christ, the contentment of obeying the Father than Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm going to tell you, contentment is declared and shouted not when you have the things in your life, but when those things that people hold dear are forfeited, when they're not there anymore. I'll never forget Jesse Henley. He was one of the, oh, the three preachers of yesteryear and is, and is about 80, I think he was 88. He was there preaching before us influencing, mentoring men all throughout his life and preaching and studying the Word of God uh, for the bulk of his days, for most of his life. And his wife dies of 60 plus years who did everything for him. He didn't know how to balance a checkbook. He didn't know how to do these things. His wife did it all so that he could study. And his wife dies. And he goes to the point of depression as many people do when their spouse dies of many years. And he just sensed in his heart He's crying out to God. Am I not enough? Am I not enough? And just Henley realized at that point in time, his sin and his heart before God of coveting and desiring more than what God was providing for him at that time. And he said, oh, dear Father, forgive me. You are enough. Ephesians 5.18 Do not be drunk with wine, 
but be filled with the Spirit. Interesting language there. Be filled with the Spirit in contrast of feeling like you need wine, to be drunk, to blind out or to make you numb to the pains of this world. Being filled. What does that mean? Did you know that this past week I turned down some wonderful hazelnut coffee and this apple Amish pie that I love and hadn't had since my grandmother died. And I knew, I knew it was good. I turned it down. Why? (laughs) Because I had already had a piece. And I already had a cup of coffee. And I already had turkey. And I already had mashed potatoes. And I already had green beans. And I already had three pieces of bread. And I was filled. I was to the point of almost pain. Almost pain. I could feel it coming. And I knew that one more piece would do it in. I said, I better not. What had happened? I was satisfied. No, one more piece of pie wouldn't do what I needed anymore. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Find your satisfaction, your contentment, and the fact that since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy have filled my soul. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And the question I have, how is it that the hope of glory, the glory, the, the presence of God, the radiance, the beauty, the holiness, the unique aspect of who God is, the gloriness that shines throughout this earth, that which reflects God, that hope of all of what's beautiful about God, the hope throughout creation, the hope of history, the hope of universe, is that Christ is in us. How is it that the hope of glory is just but an afterthought of our life? How is it that it's just a mild additive in our life that gives no joy? How can that be? If that is true, then we've missed the word of God. We missed the glory of God. We're missing what all of life and history is about. If the spirit of God is in our life, it's not just a little bit of a Holy Spirit. It's not just the Holy Spirit divided up among everybody in our church and you just get, you know, 125th or 125th or one two millionth. No, you have all of God, of who he is, the fullness of God in Jesus Christ. You have the Spirit of Christ. All of who God is, is there at your disposal, in your heart, the promises of God given to you that you can escape the nature of this world and exceedingly precious promises of God. Is at your feet, is in your heart, at your disposal. And the problem is, is that we keep going to simple, silly things to nourish us. God, yes, the Spirit of God is there, but that's an Xbox and it's on sale. I will demolish others and get that because then my life will be happy. That is idolatry. James 4, 1 through 5. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have. So you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now listen carefully. I didn't read this before. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? He wants 
you to feed upon the Spirit of God, to know that His presence is there. He wants your soul to be nourished by Him, that you do not have any more room to covet. He yearns for that, jealously, wants your soul. He wants your heart. He does not want you to keep a portion that you hold for recreation, a portion that you hold for lust, a portion that you hold for family. He wants all of your heart. He yearns jealously to the point that if you do not, he says, you know what? Either I am God ever all, or I am not God at all, and you are an enemy. You're either a friend of God or you're not. But to be a friend of God requires the price of your heart and your life, and you are better for it. Well, pastor, that's asking a lot. I assure you, he has not asked any more than what he himself has made vulnerable to you. And Jesus, on the Garden of Gethsemane, obedient to the will of the Father, became your It's tempting to make light of coveting, joking about the cells, joking about jockeying for position, who I cut off. It's tempting to talk about that because everybody's doing it. And I think maybe we feel better if it's not that serious and we can laugh about it. Satan knows that what we laugh at, we can't take serious. And I just bring this text to you because it's there. God's providence, it's ours to talk about. And it's for the salvation of your heart and your soul. The greatest danger that we have as believers in America, as a church at Green Pines at Nightdale, the greatest danger that we have is to say, I belong to Christ. I profess faith in Him. I trust in Him. But all the while, there's materialism that is reigning in our heart. There will be some who before God the Father that we'll see and we'll be totally surprised by the fact that they're there in heaven and be totally surprised by the fact that they're not there in heaven. It's for the salvation of our souls. Let the grace of God show you the beauty of who Christ is. The wonder, the magnificent Christ the spirit that he gives to you, that you will gladly trade it all. Trade it all for Jesus. He who loves his life will lose it. But he who loves, loses his life for his name's sake will find.